Hello, City Church. Happy anniversary. <clears throat> it's good to see you. I've, I've been away for a few years, doing a, having a lot of fun doing church in a bar, man. Uh, but I'm excited to be back here with you. I'm glad to lead this multifaceted community of churches toward a bright future. Now, the first thing I want to do as your lead pastor is to thank John Witte, Michelle Jack, and Clayton Tyner, who have led this campus as interim pastors yes, during a very challenging season in our history. You guys will never know fully the sacrifices that they have each made during this season. And uh, I'm just so grateful to them. And I look forward to serving along with them in the coming days. Now, as I kick off my tenure as the lead pastor of the City Church Movement, now in its 25th year, I'd like to begin by telling you just a little bit of my story. So I, I grew up here in San Antonio, went to high school here in San Antonio. Any Clark grads out there? Yeah, yeah, man, Clark stinks, baby. I went to Marshall, Ram em, Rams. Mm. So for all the Clark grads out there watching online, send your complaints to Michelle Jack, John Witte, Clayton Tyner at city.church. Okay. Anyway, I first got serious about following Jesus shortly after high school. And uh, I, was, I was really wanting to know God's will for my life. <clears throat> and I was planning to uh, go to Texas A&M, become an architect, and make lots of money. Uh, because I was, I was good at math in school, and uh, I had won a couple of citywide awards back when you had to actually draw plans with your hands. And so I was very focused on that, and so I decided to go to UTSA for a while, get a few hours under my belt, and then I was heading off to uh, College Station. But while I was here, I was praying, praying a prayer to seek God's will for my life. You know the prayer that Jesus taught? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that prayer, I pray for me. It became my daily prayer. And the more I prayed that prayer, the more I felt my heart turning from becoming an architect to becoming a pastor. And it was sort of strange because there weren't any pastors in my family at the time. And so there was no one who might have influenced me that way. But the more I prayed, the more I sensed God leading me to prepare myself to become a ministry leader. And I've been a pastor now for almost 30 years. But as time passed in my ministry, I felt this discontent about the way we did church. So let me see if I can explain. So I grew up in church. I became a believer in church. And I learned some really good stuff in church. But I never really felt comfortable inviting my unchurched friends to my church. It's like church seemed more for church people. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, okay, like we did church songs to church music from the 1800s that had some pretty weird words. <laughs> stuff like let angels prostates fall and Something like that, and then bringing in the sheaves, and I'm, I'm like, what's a sheave, man? I was an English major, and even I don't know what a sheave is. And then I didn't think my friends would get the sermons, you know, they were too long, 
And they always addressed like super theological issues that just didn't seem to relate to real life. And then it's like, you know, if you grew up in church, you know what I'm talking about. It's like we had this insider church language, you know, like we called certain people brother this and sister that. And I, okay, I know we meant it as like a term of endearment, but to an unchurched person, that just sounds weird. It sounds like a cult, you know? And so I recognized that my church culture was just too different for my unchurched friends. And so I didn't feel comfortable to invite them. And yet, those friends were people who needed grace, just like me. And so I'm gonna ask you a question. If you grew up in church, how comfortable did you feel inviting your unchurched friends to your Catholic church, your Baptist church, your Methodist church, your Presbyterian church? I bet you felt like I felt. And I just decided as, as I went along in my ministry career, I wanted to be a part of creating a church culture where my unchurched friends would feel comfortable and even excited about coming. You see, at some point in our lives, we all search for a place where we can seek the living God. We long for an environment where we can come wherever we are in our spiritual journeys. We want a setting where we will feel accepted as we are. We want a culture where we can get real about our hurts, our doubts, and our struggles. The question is, can church be that kind of place? And if it could, what would that church look like? Well, when Jesus began the movement that he called the church, he created a certain kind of culture. And we get just a glimpse into this culture when Jesus asked a young man to join his movement. Only this young man had a troubled past. This is Matthew chapter nine, verse nine. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, when Jesus invited Matthew to follow him, he was creating culture. You see, in Jesus' day, tax collectors had terrible reputations. They collected taxes for an unpopular foreign power, and they normally got rich by taking in much more than was necessary. They were viewed by their own people as crooks. In fact, the religious leaders in their day uh, categorized them as robbers and they were not allowed to go to the temple and they were not allowed to go to any local synagogue. So think about that. Those guys could not go to any religious service in their culture. And so when Jesus invited Matthew, a tax collector, to become one of his disciples, he was sending a message. He was creating culture, a culture for unchurched people. Unchurched people are those who either didn't grow up going to church or who got disconnected from church along the way. They are spiritual investigators like Matthew. And notice how Matthew responded to Jesus' request that he follow him. This is Matthew 9, 10. 
While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many other tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. You see, Matthew invited his unchurched friends, those with questionable backgrounds, to come and meet Jesus. And, and it appears that Jesus did this kind of thing regularly. Listen to this account from Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. It says, tax collectors and other <coughs> notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. He was even eating with them. Jesus regularly met with notorious sinners. And he even ate with them. So just what is a notorious sinner? Notorious sinners are common people like you and me whose private sins have become public. When I think about notorious sinners or no, notorious sinner, I think about what happened to golfing great Tiger Woods a few years ago. After a turbulent argument with his wife, his very private sins became very public. And I thought, what would it be like to be a sports figure, you know, or a movie star, or, you know, a politician whose private lives can become very public? I mean, how would we like to have reporters or paparazzi chasing us around just trying to catch us in our worst moments? How would we fare if a reporter publicized all of our private sins? You know, I suspect that the only reason we may not be notorious sinners is just because nobody's cared enough to dig it up and publish our sins. Well, Jesus intentionally spent time in social settings with notorious sinners. Why? He was sending a message. He was creating a certain kind of culture. And just what was the culture that Jesus created? This is verses 11 through 13 of the same passage. When the Pharisees saw this, that he was eating with all of these notorious sinners, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So what kind of culture did Jesus create? He created a grace culture. Jesus created a culture that showed mercy to common people like you and me who need forgiveness. And Jesus created a grace culture by hanging out with people wherever they were in their spiritual journey. He created a grace culture by teaching people before they committed to even follow him. Jesus created a grace culture by seeking to help and heal people before they got their act together. And Jesus created a grace culture by giving people the time they needed to believe and to grow. And at City Church for the past 25 years, we have worked hard to create this kind of grace culture. We seek to create a safe place of grace where unchurched people will feel comfortable and even excited about coming to church. 
We exist to be a church for those who don't get church and don't go to church. We exist to be a hospital for those who need healing. We exist to be a place where common people like you and me can find the mercy we all need. And that's why I am so pumped to be your lead pastor. You see, I came to City Church back in 1998 from the church I had pastored in Virginia. And back when I first came to City Church, uh, there was uh, only one campus and there was about 800 people. Since those days, we have grown to three campuses of over 5,000 people, and we have literally baptized thousands and thousands of people over that 25-year history. And I believe that this this shows that we've done a good job of protecting this grace culture. Now, during my time here, I've held numerous roles, but when I turned 50, almost five years ago, I sensed that I needed to do like a an evaluation of the trajectory of my life. I felt like over the next 10 to 15 years, I would have like the most wisdom, the most experience, uh, and the most energy to give to the church. And I wanted to make sure that I was in a position where I could uh, like accomplish the most possible. So I read several books uh, that help you develop like a personal mission statement. And I looked at different personality profile tools to help me understand, you know, who I am, how did God wire me? And after a season of prayer and reflection, I developed this personal mission statement to love God with all of my heart, to love my wife like Christ loves the church, to teach so people change, to lead so people move, and to pass on well to the next generation. And with this life mission in mind, I am excited about leading City Church, this multifaceted community of churches to write the next chapter in our history. But please be assured of this. We will stay focused on the mission that has guided us during our first 25 years. And our mission is this, to help people who are far from God become fully devoted followers of Christ. But to accomplish that mission as a church, we have to protect the grace culture. And I believe there are three important aspects necessary to protect our grace culture. First of all, grace cultures teach grace theology. Now that word theology, theology is just the study of God. And grace theology teaches that we are made right with God through his grace and our faith, period. And a part of my role as your lead pastor is to protect the grace theology that undergirds everything that we do. And to protect the grace theology that Jesus taught and the first church leaders taught. One of those church leaders, the Apostle Paul, expressed grace theology with these words. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For... In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through what? Faith. You are not made right with God by getting your act together. We got to get this. 
Now, I hope we can help you get your act together. I want to get my act together. But that's not what makes us right with God. And you are not made right with God by doing enough good deeds to pay off the bad deeds that you have done. And you are not made right with God through trying to appease God with religious rituals. You are made right with God through your faith in his son, Jesus Christ, period. And if you have never put your trust in Jesus, if you're still not even sure what you think about Jesus, I want you to know you're welcome here. This is a safe place to explore our faith. And I hope, I truly hope that one day you will believe in Jesus too. Grace cultures teach a grace theology. Grace cultures also remove grace barriers. So a barrier is something that stands between us and the grace that we all need. So we as a staff regularly assess every aspect of our services and of our programs with unchurched people in mind. And we seek to remove every grace barrier that we find. <laughs> so what do I mean by a grace barrier? Well, let me give you a, one grace barrier that I remember from the church I grew up in. And it was church clothes. Now, every year, my mom bought me church clothes. And I only wore church clothes to church. Okay, you got where I'm going. Now, one of the most memorable set of church clothes I ever got when, when I was a teen in the 1970s, okay? So give me some grace. It was a rust orange double knit suit with white stitching. I had a white belt with three prongs on it and white platform shoes, baby. I looked like a pimped out Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> the 70s were awesome. But here's my point. My unchurched friends didn't have church clubs. It's not that they couldn't afford them, they could, but they just didn't have them. And so it's like church clothes became a grace barrier. And so at City Church, we seek to tear down grace barriers. That's why we don't wear church clothes. We wear, you know, whatever clothes we feel like wearing. And so if, if you're into the Napoleon dynamite suit kind of thing, you can wear it, you know? If you wanna wear flip-flops and shorts, you can wear it, okay? We also, uh, one of the grace barriers that we, we removed from our church was the passing of offering plates. Uh, because we just didn't want our unchurched friends to be weirded out about the whole money thing you know, in their first experience here. Thank you, yeah. So let me give you an example about tearing down grace barriers that happened just this year out at City Church West, our church in a bar. So one morning I show up for church at the 151 Saloon and I see this big sign that the manager had put on the door that said no neck or head tattoos allowed. Yeah, and, and I thought, well, okay, I understand why our friends, and they are friends who run the 151 Saloon, I understand why they put that sign up, but because we're the kind of church we are, I took the sign down. So, so what kind of church has a more lax dress code than a bar? You're in it, baby. <clears throat> we will tear down grace barriers because I do not want anybody's 
friend or coworker who's coming to check out church to have a grace barrier stand in his or her way. Uh, grace cultures will remove those barriers. But please know this. We will not sacrifice theology for re relevance. We will not compromise scriptural truth for societal acceptance. We will remain doctrinally pure, but we will also remain culturally sensitive and saturated with grace. Grace cultures teach a grace theology. They remove grace barriers, and grace cultures also build grace bridges. Grace bridges provide connecting points between unchurched people and Jesus' message of grace. That's why our downtown campus meets in a theater that used to be a brothel. That's why our West Campus meets in a honky-tonk saloon and our worship pastor plays there every month. That's why here at the Bandera Road Campus, we create a rock concert kind of environment. That's why our speakers get real about our own struggles with anger, lust, pride, and resentment. It's why we seek to show radical acceptance and authentic love to all people. And it's why we are going to serve our city with our summer of love. These the, the social action programs and movements that get us involved in serving our city. All of those create bridges. And we, we look for every possible way to create grace bridges so we can connect with unchurched people who need grace just like us. So maybe you're like some of the friends that I grew up with. Maybe you didn't grow up in church, or maybe you did, but you got disconnected from church. I want you to know this is a safe place of grace for you. Or maybe you're an atheist, or a Muslim, or Buddhist, but you're willing to consider the claims of Christ. I want you to know this is a safe place of grace for you. Maybe you're a notorious sinner, or at least you feel like it, right? I want you to know you're welcome here. This is a safe place of grace for you to ask your hardest questions, to admit your deepest struggles, to explore our faith, and to seek the healing that we all need. This is a safe place of grace. And so on this, our 25th anniversary, I wanted you to hear the story of one person who needed a safe place of grace like City Church. Take a look. Hi, my name is Brian Ruiz. I go to City Church and I've been attending for 11 years. Uh, growing up, uh, we would go to church um, every once in a while. We were one of the families that would go maybe Christmas and Easter. Grew up knowing or believing that you had to really, in order to really know something, you had to explore it you know, through the uh, scientific method. Um, and that was the only really way we could get knowledge from. And every time I talked to people and asked questions, uh, Christians, they would always tell me uh, the, because the Bible says so and because you got to have faith. And uh, for somebody like me, that just wasn't enough. I needed more. 
My sister and brother-in-law were regular attendees to City Church, uh, and at that time they would um, record some of their um, uh, sermons on cassette tape. And uh, one of the ones that uh, was recorded and given to me by my sister and brother-in-law uh, was uh, by Pastor Brent, and it was called Reasons Why I Believe in God. Uh, they gave it to me, and I listened to it forwards and backwards more and more, and I listened to Pastor Brent, uh, who was not talking about faith and because the Bible says so. He was talking about things like the second law of thermodynamics. He was talking about uh, using morality as uh, a philosophical reasoning uh, that there is indeed a God. And these ideas uh, really uh, stirred something in me. And I felt that God was talking to me, uh, and only to me, specifically to me. And he was talking to me in a loving way. And I felt like he was calling me towards him. The first thing he wanted me to do was to get right with him. And so I did. And the second thing that he told me to do uh, was to make amends uh, with my uh, ex-girlfriend at the time, Leonore. I started to, to talk to her again. I started to uh, try to arrange a meeting so that way we could get back together. And we started to make some amends, I did, uh, in our relationship. Um, and we started getting very serious afterwards. And within a year, we were married, you know. Uh, we started to uh, get involved with the church a lot more. Something that I just really felt like I wanted to do. I wanted to give back. If I hadn't nurtured that little idea inside me that there might be something more than what only uh, science could prove. The kind of joy I think that comes from, you know, only, only from God, uh, that would not be there. Uh, through believing in Him, through that whole circumstance, uh, it was amazing, it was transforming, um, and we couldn't be happier. And it's incredible to imagine what more he has in store for us if we'll only continue to walk in the path that he's put you know before us for 25 years city church has existed to serve people like brian and i truly believe our best days are ahead of us and together we will write the next chapter in the City Church story, and together this multifaceted community of churches will continue to serve our city and our world. And so if you call City Church your church, I'm asking you to recommit yourself to figure out what your part is in the church and then to be the church. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, uh, we do believe that you are the son of God, that you have risen from the dead. And my prayer is that you would help us as a church to create the kind of grace culture that you created when you were on the earth. We want to be just like you. We want to create that kind of culture where even notorious sinners <coughs> feel welcomed here, feel loved here, and can be challenged by your teaching. And so, Jesus, we believe you are the head of the church. And so we, to our, to our very best abilities, we seek to follow you. 
to serve you and to uh, do everything in our power to be the church, the way that you created us to be. Help us to be the church. And then, Lord, we will give you all of the praise and all of the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.